And uh, so it's such an encouragement uh, to uh, have many of our missionaries who are out of town, uh, in town with us this week. And we have a, a few opportunities to connect with them as you guys have been hearing announcements about that. I really encourage you guys uh, to partake in. Uh, I do feel at the outset when I, Jim Craig said to me this morning, uh, Jim, point you out, um, when I came in this morning based on being on sabbatical for three months, he asked me if I still remembered how to preach. And so I told him that if it's sounding like I have forgotten to give me some kind of signal, we'll end this thing early and we can all get out of here. So I don't know. We'll find out. I'm letting, <laughs> I'm letting Jim be the judge uh, for you all. So anyways, um, should, be, should be good this morning. Um, I do want to genuinely say uh, thank you uh, to the elders uh, for the opportunity um, to have a three-month sabbatical. I spent a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time at Dominican University uh, studying in the mornings, and I can very, very much remember uh, my first uh, morning there that I went to study when I was on sabbatical. I didn't have any uh, devices with me, mobile devices, um, and uh, just simply had uh, my Bible, a few books, and a journal. And I remember sitting down at, at Dominican, they have this old library that's a beautiful space, um, and sat down at the, this big long desk to study. And I remember opening my Bible and thinking to myself, I have no one to get back with right now. And it was actually like, it sounds kind of simple, but a pretty powerful moment, you know? And all of us have that, right? We all have stuff in our various jobs, and there's just like this constant noise of like who we didn't get in touch with that we should have, right? Um, and all the things we didn't get done yesterday that we should today. And there really was this sweet sense um, of uh, space uh, to hear the Spirit of God uh, in my own life. And so I really am genuinely thankful. So I just kind of want to publicly thank uh, the elders um, and you all for allowing me uh, to be away for a couple months to study and had a nice time with the family on a, on a road trip too. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to publicly thank you all for that and hopefully I haven't forgot about preaching. So uh, here we are this morning. Um, as Gerald talked about earlier, uh, we're taking the entire month of November to focus on one of our DNA. Uh, many of you guys have maybe heard of our DNA, whether you went through our Calvary 101 class or you hear it in various places throughout the church. Um, but we have five DNA to be gospel-rooted, uh, God-centered, uh, discipleship-focused, uh, community-engaged, and mission-minded. And so this month is really an opportunity to highlight that one last DNA, mission-minded, what it means. Uh, and so these first two weeks, uh, this morning and next week, we'll mostly be highlighting what we might say is our personnel at Calvary, our mission personnel, our missionaries. Um, on our website, they're referred to as our mission staff. And so really highlighting this week and next week um, how we can be in relationship together, uh, local church and missionaries. And then the last two weeks, we'll be highlighting um, our partnerships that we have. So by the hand, will be with us. And then we'll also have uh, the Lawndale Christian actually Health Center as a part of the larger partnership we have with the whole Lawndale uh, family down there, the community church, the legal center, the health center. Um, and then as you saw this morning already, kind of as a thread running throughout our whole month, 
uh, will be this Grow the Vision uh, partnership opportunity uh, specifically with the Legal Center there and their initiative on the Mac House. So there'll be a lot of different pieces, a lot of moving pieces, and even if you can feel in our worship service this morning, a lot of different things going on. And I hope, um, it, I was telling, uh, I think, Carolyn and Gerald that we're like riding this line of it can all feel chaotic or exciting. And I'm not sure which side of the fence we'll be on from week to week, uh, but I do hope it can feel, have a sense of excitement about what we're doing. And I think it's appropriate for us as a church uh, to be highlighting not only things that happen internally, but the stuff that our church has involved us that's happening externally outside our facilities. Um, and so I think this is a cool opportunity for that. Each year, uh, as we kind of think about our text for this morning, Philippians 1, each year um, I oftentimes think to myself, what am I going to preach this year about our, during our missions uh, focus? Uh, my, and I think my goals are always the same depending on what I want to preach. My goals are always for us, I think, as a whole church uh, to grow in our love for what God is doing around us and the surrounding communities and around the world Um, and to be and feel connected uh, to what God is doing around us and around the world. And I think that's challenging because I think oftentimes in an effort to reach those goals, we as maybe mission or outreach pastors can talk about all the stuff that God is doing uh, around the world, but we can do it in a way that feels disconnected from the everyday congregant coming to church. And I think that's what I want to try to avoid in these emphasis, is not to just talk about missions as if it's something only the professionals do, but how can we talk about being mission-minded if it's our DNA? It wasn't meant to just be our DNA for our vocational missionaries or our staff, ministry staff, but the DNA of the church. And so I think to myself, how can I highlight what God is doing in the world in a way that we all feel like we're connected and a part of it, having various roles in it? And so what I'm becoming more and more convinced of Um, that the best strategy I can develop for our church to grow in our understanding and involvement of what God is doing around us and around the world is to connect to our missionaries, to connect with our partners. That maybe sounds simple. I don't want to just preach about ideals within our outreach efforts, but to connect you to the people who embody those ideals. The relationship between our partners and our missionaries and the local church, that relationship has significant impact on our ability to continue to see the progress of the gospel to all nations. And I think typically we might first think, well, we don't have the best strategies, so we need to think of the best strategies to get the gospel to all nations, and then think, how do we find those best strategies and implement them? right immediately bypassing the people who are doing the work day in and day out. And what I want to say is actually, first and foremost, I genuinely think that the relationship between the local church, all of us, and the people we work with, we send out, is the most crucial dynamic in us moving forward to progress the gospel to all nations, the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, I'd even say, Our relationship with our missionaries here at Calvary carries significant weight in our ability to share the love of Jesus. Have we thought about that before? 
that our ability to genuinely carry out the hope and love of Jesus Christ is significantly contingent on our relationship with our missionaries, we probably think, well, they're gone, right? We don't see them sometimes. And the local ones, there's many local ones who worship here every Sunday, and we don't even know who they are sometimes. And we oftentimes think that, well, I just need to do something specific in my own world, totally bypassing the fact that there are people who are giving their lives that can speak to us. And I think there are two pitfalls when the church and missionary are not deeply connected. One of them, without the support of the local church, the missionary and agencies even, are much more susceptible to discouragement. Discouragement in a particular context is real for missionaries. And without the genuine love and support of the local church, a missionary is much more vulnerable and susceptible to depression and discouragement and frustration. That's one pitfall if we don't have this close relationship. Another pitfall, I think, is that without the awareness from our end of what our missionaries are doing, the supporting churches like us can fall simply into maintenance mode and eventually die. If we are not hearing back from our missionaries, if we're not in a relationship with them and understand what they're doing around the world, then we can be so disconnected from them that we end up ourselves just falling into maintenance mode, making sure that we have good attendance at all our events and keeping the lights on and paying the bills. I don't think that happens if we have a vibrant, dynamic relationship as a collective church with those we send out. Because as they come back to us, they help us and they're sharing with us, they help us reimagine the missionary spirit here in our own context, which is crucial. And so the question is, do we see any positive examples of this kind of deep relationship between the missionary and the supporting local church in the New Testament? Do we see anything like this in, in the book of Acts? Well, after studying and reading through Acts and trying to find this kind of dynamic, I personally am convinced that the church in Philippi uh, actually gives us the best representation of a deep relationship with a well-known missionary the Apostle Paul. And you think about the way, as we'll see in a few minutes, if we listen to the way that Paul talks about the church in Philippi, you you have to come away thinking, this is an extraordinary relationship. This is a very, very deep, dynamic relationship between a supporting church and a missionary. While Philippi was not Paul's initial sending church, If we remember back in Acts 13, uh, Paul was initially, uh, with Barnabas, sent out uh, by the church in Antioch in Syria. That was their initial sending church. It does seem to me still, though, that the church in Philippi is Paul's closest church. And so this morning, uh, I'll try to quickly, uh, with the time we have left, to just share with you three important realities or three components, however you want to say it, about the relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi that created a deep and lasting relationship. And then I simply want to commend 
that kind of relationship to us and our missionaries. This deep relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi created for Paul the support and strength needed at very difficult points in his journeys. But one thing I want to preface before we go into those three realities is simply say this. Before we look at the three important realities of Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi, I would like to clarify something that I think is utterly foundational in all three of those dynamics. One is that you will see expressed in all three realities of their relationship absolute mutuality. What you're going to see in all three of the realities that we look at quickly is that both parties are fully engaged and active. It is not a one-way street. Listen to how Paul talks about his relationship with the church in Philippi in chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That's a pretty powerful words that Paul shares about the church in Philippi, that only them were the ones that were genuinely committed to both giving and receiving. And when the church in Philippi, for example, gave Paul money, they did not then expect that the relationship had to be based on employer or employee relationships and categories. Paul saw their support as an expression of genuine love and partnership. Both parties could have wanted to be the sole benefactor. Paul could have tried to leverage his status as apostle, and the church in Philippi could have tried to leverage their status being on the one who gave the money as the true benefactors. But that was not their concern in this relationship. It was one of genuine partnership, genuine giving and receiving. And so let's see these three important realities of their relationship that specifically all express mutuality. The first one is, and this may sound a little abstract, their feelings for each other. What's really interesting is how Paul talks about his feelings toward the church in Philippi. If you look in, as was read for us, uh, both in Japanese and English, if you look, was read for us in chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4, Paul says of the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I mean, that sounds very biblical and scriptural, right? So we kind of get used to hearing that. But imagine if someone said to you, every time I remember you, I thank God just for your life. I mean, what if someone said that to you this morning? Literally like eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball, like came up to you and said like, dude, every time I think of you, I just thank God for you. Like, all right. That, like, I mean, I don't know about some of you like, like that. I would feel like personal space has been, that's too much for me personally. I don't just let you guys know ahead of time. But this is really profound that Paul talks about that way. And he goes on to say in verse 7, I hold you in my heart. It's right for me to have this kind of affection for you. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. I mean, again, how are you going to feel if someone comes up to you this morning, like eyeball to eyeball? I hold you in my heart. I know that's profound 
way to talk about a relationship. And we must remember, when we talk about these relationships, we can simply think about this as just Christian-Christian relationship and how Christians should be with each other, which is fair and is appropriate and right. But we need to put it in its context. This is a missionary and supporting church context. Paul's not just talking about any relationship with a Christian. He's talking about a supporting church relationship. He also says in the next verse, in verse 8, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. So if the first two weren't enough uh, in closing on personal space, he's really getting there with this in verse 8, I yearn for you all. I mean, those are very profound. Then you skip over quickly to 4 in verse 1. He talks about the brothers and sisters in Philippi. He says, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. This is not just a normal relationship, right? Like, this is profound, the way Paul talks about the church in Philippi. And what I want to clarify is, I don't think Paul is just talking about the Philippian church at large. This idea of the church in Philippi, I love and long, and they're my joy and my crown. I think he has specific people in mind. This is concrete and specific. If you can remember, uh, Paul's first journey uh, to Philippi came in his actual second missionary journey. He goes, the first time he goes into what we would consider today modern-day Europe, he goes into the Macedonian area and goes to the church of Philippi, And we have the encounter, his first encounter in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And if we remember, he comes across this group of women that were worshipers of God, Lydia. After spending much time with Lydia, he then finds this slave girl. The slave girl we know has a spirit uh, that gives her the ability to tell the future. It seems to be uh, pretty clearly an evil spirit. And so Paul eventually uh, casts out the spirit out of the slave girl. Um, And her owners are frustrated because they were able to make money off the fact that she could tell the future through this evil spirit. So the people, they tell uh, the leaders of the city in Philippi, and they end up imprisoning him. He meets a jailer there in the prison um, who also comes to know Christ and his entire household. Eventually, Paul gets booted out of the town for fear of safety because the city is no longer welcoming uh, Paul for all the disruption he's bringing. But before he leaves town, and we see this in Acts 16, before he leaves town, when his life is at stake, he takes a moment once again to stop by Lydia and her household. I mean, you can imagine, like, he is running for his life in many ways. But there was such a deep, profound relationship with Lydia and her household that he had to stop in there one more time before heading out of town. Paul's love for the church in Philippi wasn't just this love at large. It was specific and towards people. And we see also the Philippians had the same concern. This was a mutuality. In 4.10, we see Paul talk about the Philippians. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. And he goes on to say, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So they had the same kind of concern and affection for Paul. Quickly, going into the second point, the second important reality of the relationship is it wasn't just feelings. 
They actually helped tangibly with money. When Paul left Philippi, after being rushed out of Philippi, he had went on next to Thessalonica. While he was in Thessalonica, in the letter to the Philippians, he refers to the fact that they gave him all that he needed for living, that they tangibly supported Paul in his needs while he was in Philippi. And also, we, I have plenty of notes here, but I'm going to keep moving. Um, in Paul's second time he goes to visit Philippi, not only did the Philippian church help Paul with his own personal needs, the second time Paul went to go visit the church in Philippi, he, Paul wanted to bring back to Jerusalem a collection to help for those who were poor in the church in Jerusalem. And so the church in Philippi becomes this crucial church that helps collect money. They give out of their own poverty, they give money for Paul to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And so we see even there, in a very crucial way, the church in Philippi comes together with Paul. They send him, even when he was in prison in Rome, they send him Epaphroditus. And then Paul subsequently, as we see in Philippians, wanted to send to the Philippians back Epaphroditus and eventually send them Timothy because of this mutual, tangible way of caring for each other. The last thing I'll share is that they also, you see in, uh, as we already saw in the early chapters of chapter one in the letter to the Philippians, that Paul prays for the church in Philippi. He prays for them. Every time he thinks of them, he thanks God for them. Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And in the church in Philippi, he says, Paul says, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, his imprisonment in Rome. And so he's this powerful relation, this powerful relationship also has committed to each other to pray for each other. Why all of this in closing? Why all of this? Why is this so important? Why do I put out before us that our ability as a local church to carry forth the gospel to the ends of the world and even in our own neighborhoods and communities is crucial upon these relationships? Why? Just so we can say we have good friendships? No. Why, if you look at Romans chapter 3, or excuse me, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That is what ultimately united the relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi, was a commitment of not having a righteousness of their own, but that which comes, a righteousness comes through faith in Christ, to share in Christ's suffering, and ultimately to share in his resurrection. And that's why Paul can say, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that was 
what created this deep relationship and this affection and this prayer and all this effort between the church in Philippi and Paul was this commitment to know Christ and this compassion for and this desire to see those surrounding him to know Christ also. They, share, they were sharers in God's grace.